Welcome to Season 4, Episode 29 of Brody Sports Talk. My name is Derek Rusnick, and I will be leading this particular episode because one of my cohorts um, has a little bit of the, the crud in his throat, and so we're trying to save his voice for the extra special stuff we have going on in this episode. Now, one of the major uh, super exciting things is we have a special guest. Well, a returning champion, if you will. We told him he could not come back onto the podcast until the Eagles lost. Well, look what happened on Monday night. It's our fault. Please, uh, the entire city of Philadelphia, please be mad at us. Uh, Sean Morgan has returned. How are you, sir? Uh, I mean, I was okay until you pointed that out. Now I actually think that I may have, I may have been solely responsible. Um, you know, it's funny, right? Because I, I used to host a, you know, a, a footy podcast, and I stopped doing it for a, a bunch of different reasons. But one of the big ones was I legitimately thought that me doing a podcast was cursing my own team. And then I stopped doing the podcast. Now Arsenal's top of the league. So now I'm terrified that I've opened up like Pandora's box. <laughs> what have I done? Well, we're glad to have you back, Sean, at least for this episode. Hopefully the Eagles return back to the winning ways and we never have to hear from you ever again. Um, Yes, but the the, the scratchy voice on the other end is, of course, our founder. That's uh, Caleb Walgren. Now, he is super excited because of the Packers over the Cowboys, which the entire podcast is very happy for. Caleb, how you doing? How you feeling? I mean, anytime the Cowboys lose, it's a good week. Uh, the Packers doing it to them just makes it better. And I'm hoping for quick back-to-back wins. Uh, crossing my fingers. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so this is the beginning of a long winning streak where the the Packers get to the playoffs and prove everybody wrong. Let's go ahead and start off with uh, Caleb's favorite segment of this podcast, and this this day in sports history. So, Caleb, what is happening on this day in sports history? On this day, November 16th, 1957, the University of Oklahoma winning streak ends at 47 with a 7-0 home loss to Notre Dame. Now, I'm not a huge Notre Dame fan, But we mention on the podcast all the time that we are an Oklahoma-based podcast. So go ahead and mark that off of your bingo cards. And let's face it, it's Bedlam week. I had to get something in here to make Derek happy, being an Oklahoma State Cowboy. And so saying, hey, did you know that uh, Oklahoma had a huge winning streak go down uh, quite a long time ago? And with Sean coming back, I knew he was probably going to say that I was there. Uh, because <laughs> listen, with my voice, listen, it sounds like listen. I could be there. So I was. Here's what I was going to say. I'm like, coincidentally, 1957 was also the year that Caleb turned 47. So <laughs> it was just a perfect combination. But you, you ruined it. I was excited. I was waiting. I'm like, I'm not going to interrupt. I'm just going to sit here and wait till he finishes, and I'm going to add that to it. You've, you've stolen my thunder. I Can't am a thunder stealer. Uh, that's what we do here in Oklahoma City. Uh, some people might say we stole that team, but we didn't. Um, but yeah, anytime we can talk about it, I mean, it's the thing that I think Oklahoma brags about the most. 
and especially on a year where they aren't bragging about much of anything, they have a 47-game winning streak. So that's that. Uh, always good, and they are going to extend their losing streak this particular Saturday with a loss at home against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. We're just going to go ahead and put that in to the ether. Um, if, if, we're, if we have superstitions, uh, I'm going to put that out there. So um, our next segment, uh, the World Cup is coming up. So, uh, Sean, any, uh, any thoughts on maybe doing a World Cup draft? What do you think about that? Uh, I think that sounds pretty darn good. Um, okay. I'm I'm excited to watch you guys not with your first picks uh, pick the right teams and then me grab my two favorites, uh, you know, on the turn. So let's hear them. Okay, so uh, because uh, Caleb and Derek do not know anything about footy, uh, we have drawn strong and uh, Caleb has taken the odd and as. As he likes to do, he gets to go first. So, Caleb, are you ready to go with your first pick in the 2022 World Cup draft? I'm going a little bit away from the odds makers here, but I'm going to go ahead and go with a defending champion of the World Cup, who I know Sean was high on last time. They have Kylian Mbappe, one of the best young players in the world. Give me France. Not bad, not bad. I um my big concern with France is less their attack um, and I think their their back four are pretty solid. Uh, their midfield has been uh, probably their source of strength for a long time. They have a lot of not necessarily newer players, but players that are going to be relied on a lot more than they typically are. There is no Conte in the midfield, so we will see how they do. Uh, and if some of the bigger sides can take advantage of that, definitely a favor to make it out of groups, though. Okay, so I have the second pick, and with my second pick, I am going to pick Korea Republic. I'm, I'm wondering if that's a serious pick. It is a serious pick. I'm, it's Group H, and Korea Republic is in Group H. All right, well... They are, uh, uh, I mean, we're going to see if uh, if Son will be back in time. He's, I don't know the uh, how familiar you are with him, but a Spurs player, not, a, not the biggest fan, had a broken orbital um, in a fairly recent Premier League match and is easily South Korea's biggest star um, and integral to their success if they are to, to make it out of groups. Um, well... I made it fairly fun for me to go and pick uh, number three and four. Uh, I'll go ahead and take my um, pick to, I think, win it all. Um, and that is going to be Argentina. Uh, I have, I just have a feeling, right? I just have a feeling that this is, this is the season that Messi gets it done. Um, I feel like a lot of the other sides, especially the big European teams, are, they, they have a lot of question marks. Uh, Germany had a very, very weak showing last time around. Um, I feel like Spain is still trying to recover from how brutally mediocre they were uh, this time 10 years ago. And so, uh, and, and again, I, I think France's midfield is kind of a big concern. So I'm going to take Argentina. Uh, and then heading into the turn, I'm also going to take Brazil. 
I think it, that this is going to be a South American-dominated uh, World Cup, and um, I'm I feel like they're probably on paper the best team, uh, you know, top to bottom uh, in this entire competition. But they almost always are, right? They almost always are on paper, like super loaded. But you know, it's just a matter of can they get it done? Sometimes it's been coaching. Sometimes it's been a mentality thing. Nobody has ever accused Brazil of being mentality monsters. And so they tend to fold when things get a little bit rough. I think everybody remembers the 7-1. And so maybe this could be the year. Um, but we'll see. Okay, so since we're doing a snake draft, it comes back to me. And I am going to root for all of the Rusniks out there and go Poland. As my second pick. I actually think it's pretty good. Um, I know that in particular, that group is a little, it's a, it's a little odd, right? Because if you look at Argentina is easily the favorite to emerge out of it. And I think heading into um, like heading into the World Cup, like group selections, people were wondering, well, how's Mexico going to do? How's Mexico going to do? I honestly am concerned that Mexico may not make it out of groups. I feel like Poland is always deceptively good. Lewandowski has been, you know, leading that side for a long time now. Easily, you know, the top, uh, top three prolific striker in Europe. Uh, I think he can uh, he can get it done out of Group C. Caleb, now with your second pick, I'm going to go ahead and stick close to France here, and I'm going to pick Belgium. Uh, Belgium's a team I usually enjoy seeing the, I believe, the Red Devils, if I'm keeping things correct for their team nickname. I like seeing them go out and do some things on the field. Plus, uh, I really like seeing Lukaku when he's at his best. So, hoping that he's able to get some things done there for Belgium. Um, I do like Belgium. Uh, I think that they... Their, you know, their golden generation uh, really had its peak um, four years ago. And a lot of the players that are, you know, considered to be, you know, at the time, like some of the best in the world uh, are now much older. De Bruyne is still something absolutely special. But like Eden Hazard is is definitely much older. Um, I'm actually interested to see how Tielemans works into the roster and like the impact that he has if he ends up featuring a lot. But it's really like that that side is pretty loaded still. So uh, I think that's a good good follow up. Um, I've got to take them because they've got my my team's keeper. Uh, much love to Jordan Pickford and up the Toffees. I'm going to go ahead and take England. Do I think they have the best chance? No. They probably normally bottle it up and give it away. But we're at the seventh pick, and I don't pick for quite a while. So I want to grab them because I think they'll be okay. And I don't think that the U.S. is going to beat them when they play next week. So happy Black Friday, everyone. Sean, I need your, your assistance with this. Uh, who is the best uh, African team that's out there? I'm seeing Senegal. I'm seeing Ghana. seeing Cameroon. Uh, Senegal by far. Okay. Uh, by far. Like not okay, even. I'll take Senegal then. Yeah. 
Um, I I really hope that Sadio. I, now, keep in mind, I am not a Sadio Mane fan at all. Uh, I think that he is a dirty player. I still will never forgive that elbow that he laid on Kieran Tierney um, in a match of uh, uh, Liverpool and Arsenal. I think it was like two years ago. Uh, but nobody wants to see their World Cup dreams dashed as a player due to injury. And if he isn't able to play, he's expected to miss potentially a couple of the early group games. So I think that if he is able to come back, I mean, Senegal does have a very, very easy group. So I think that they do have a good chance of emerging to knockouts, especially if Mane is able to come back. So speaking of teams in their group, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the Netherlands here. Uh, Group A is incredibly weak. Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and then the Netherlands. They should very easily emerge out of this group, um, which would put them potentially playing, you know, a a team that finished second in their group, which is always advantageous going into knockouts. So depending on how that final draw goes, they could very well end up, you know, sliding right in to that final eight. And if they are able to, you know, get matched up pretty well, you know, we'll have to see who they end up going up against. But, you know, sometimes for World Cup, you end up seeing a surprise team make it into the Final Four. And it's almost all on the basis of how easy their group was and then how that first draw came. So I think the Netherlands have a excellent, excellent chance. Uh, and I think the other team I'm going to go ahead and take uh, is going to be Spain. Um, a part of me really wants to go Germany here. But I feel like heading into this particular World Cup, Germany's team is just old. And they are just super, super old. Uh, And Spain's finally had some of their youth pan out a bit. And for me, I think that's really what it comes down to is, you know, can some of these younger forwards actually score? Their midfield is great. Midfield's got a lot of experience. Defensively... Again, there's some there's some age there, but I, I think that that Spain, if they have a strong cup here, they may not win, but if they have a strong cup here, I would fully expect them to be, you know, very competitive for the next three, six years in international competition. Okay, so that was your second pick. So now it moves back over to to me. And I'm just gonna go with the heart and I'm gonna say Wales is gonna be my fourth pick. I mean, we'll see if um, if Bale wants to play football instead of golf. <laughs> but no, I, I think that's a fine. That's the. I would love to see them beat England. If I'm being perfectly honest, I I think that would throw a bit of a wrench into the dynamic. And I mean, they're in the same group as the United States, which nobody's picked yet. So, yeah. Um, is that like one of the least instrumental doubles of all time, the MLS Cup and the World Cup to combo? Um, not exactly, uh, not exactly a double that, uh, I think anybody would call a double, but I mean, it would be interesting, I think, to see, I, I, I'm excited to see how the U.S. does, to be perfectly honest, but we haven't, we haven't gotten to them yet, so. So, I'm gonna go ahead and, I've got a couple of spots I'm, I'm leaning between here. I'm gonna go ahead and take. I'm going to take Canada. They did really well in the qualifying for CONCACAF. 
Not that that's that impressive. But uh, in general, when the U.S. needed to go win matches against them, they didn't. So if you're going to give me someone who I think is playing better as a team, I'm going to take Canada. I I think that's a pretty pretty fair take. Um, I it is interesting to see how they're going to do heading into the World Cup. Concacaf obviously not the most uh, the most competitive federation in the world, but I think within the top like three or four teams generally, it can be hyper competitive. Um, and I really like their attack. Um, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David. I mean, they've got uh, they've got a very interesting team, right? They have a a lot of a lot of players. I think that would um, th- that can be difference makers, right? Maybe they don't have the greatest overall team strength, but they could very well surprise. Um, the unfortunate, you know, reality is that they do have a very um, gutty group uh, in Group F with a lot of teams that play play very, very physical um, in Croatia and Belgium. I'm going to double down in one of my groups again. I'm going to take Denmark. Um, what happened with the Euros with Christian Eriksen? I just love how the team showed up and kept playing their heart out, even after he collapsed on the field. So got to give them some props and some love here. Plus that gives me France and Denmark both in that group, which gives me really good chances of making it out of that. I was going to say, I mean, to be fair, yeah, Australia and Tunisia are two of like the bottom five teams um, strength-wise in the cup. So uh, I I feel like a lot of people have pegged Group D fairly accurately, and it's not probably not going to be a whole lot of surprises. Derek, we're back to you. Yeah, so I'm having a hard time. Uh, okay, so let's go back. Let's uh, let's handcuff a little bit of Group H again and go with Uruguay uh, being my next pick. Uh, also not a bad one. Um, also not a bad – again, um, Group H has a – it's a bit rough, right? I think if anybody is going to be potentially surprised out of a result, it could be – uh, Uruguay winning Group H. Portugal always either overperforms or underperforms in the World Cup. The Euros are where they're like usually on fire, but the World Cup, for some reason, it just it never really properly pans out. Uh, so I could I could you know see I I don't think they miss knockouts, right? But I could see them you know potentially not finishing first in this group. Uh, but I am actually going to take Portugal here. Uh, because, again, kind of the same reason that I really like the Netherlands, uh, Group H is, I think, fairly straightforward and um, can be pretty easy to predict. I do worry that Hyungming Son not being back in time could damper Korea's chances of taking a couple surprise matches off. Um, and I, you know, this is this is going to be Ronaldo's last hurrah. I don't like this pick, but you know I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot anyway. Uh, and I'm again surprised nobody has taken Germany, so I'm gonna go ahead and take Germany out of Group E. Group E is another one where you look and you see two teams that on paper are going to emerge out of it, 
and then you see um you know two teams that uh, probably not going to do a whole lot uh with costa rica and japan so i think germany even though their team is old i mean they're experienced they know what to do get the job done they'll probably disappoint but worth a step Okay, so it is my final pick of the draft, and I am going with the Fighting John Hams. Let's go, USA. This is easily the United States' best team in 15 years. Um, they're playing consistently well. You know, they have a lot of people that are, um, have a lot of hype going into this World Cup. Um, I honestly, I, I, as a, as somebody who isn't exactly a Chelsea fan, uh, seeing Christian Pulisic succeed here is great. Seeing him succeed, you know, while he's wearing a, a blue shirt with number three on it, not so much, but, uh, I, I wish the best for the U S and I do think that they make knockouts. Um, I think they 100% make knockouts and, uh, you know, they'll probably drop on the round of 16, but you know, you, uh, you hope for the best. And now hey, I'm, let's go I'm ahead and here. run this yeah. out. Not a whole lot of options left on the table for me here. I'm going to go ahead and go with Croatia. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good call. Um, I mean, either Serbia, uh, Croatia. I think that Switzerland could have been an interesting pick because um, it's it's always going to be, and it always seems to happen in a World Cup. Or in the Euros, where like it's it's Switzerland and another team that ends up like really having a strong chance of emerging out of groups. So I think the Switzerland Serbia dynamic is going to be interesting. But again, you know, if you are going based on how likely is a team to make it out of groups, Group F, um, you know, with Belgium and Croatia, they really are, I think, um, heads and so head and shoulders above all of the other ones. And I mean, hey. Like Croatia has always been, has always been. Modric is immortal. Luka Modric is, uh, he's going to be still you know, bossing people in the midfield when he's in his mid 50s. How is this dude still like able to do what he does? I don't know. But uh, I'm excited to see it happen uh, in Qatar this year. You're talking about a player that doesn't age. That's interesting. Yeah. So great, uh, great draft, guys. I think that I've got this one in the bag. Uh, Uruguay for the win, World Cup, hoisting that trophy. Uh, final thoughts, Caleb, anything from you? I just love doing these drafts. I think they're a lot of fun. And I'm glad we had Sean because it made it more diverse. I know that in general, we would have been like, yeah, I'm taking this team. What's up? <laughs> I so, had no idea why we took that team. From I, can't, I can't believe you guys gave me Argentina, Brazil, and the Netherlands, like, all back-to-back. I'm excited, though. I'll take it. I'll ta- Watch, right? Watch Belgium end up winning or something, and it just goes to spite, you know, like, it'd be, it'd be, my, it'd be my luck. Yeah, so let's move on to our next segment in the podcast, and that's going to be overreactions under the radar. Um, so we're going to go through our overreactions one apiece, and then we'll come back and do our under-the-radars. So for me, I'm going to go first on this because I want to overreact to something. Um, 
you know, a couple of weeks back, we ch- clocks went back. Uh, we, we gained an hour daylight savings time. Um, ended, yeah, I guess it ended. Um, Father Time has not caught up uh, because he did not make the trip to Germany uh, because the GOAT has returned to form. Tom Brady um, had a great game in Germany. Um, he has now won four, yeah, four games outside the United States. Um, and, you know, maybe he needs to play outside the United States. I mean, I would prefer that because I don't want him around anymore. But he went 22 for 29, 258, uh, a couple of touchdowns, an interception, and a very nice trip. Um, not just to Germany, but uh, like the trip, uh, guys who intercept the ball from Leonard Fournette. Uh, if you haven't seen that clip, guys, go go watch it because honestly, uh, there, that's probably a pick six. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's anyone else around there if that uh, if that cornerback doesn't just uh, get get tripped up and is able to run that back. I think that game completely changes if something like that happens. So. Tom Brady, we've talked about him. I've been looking for his demise for four or five years now. Um, it looked like he just wasn't playing uh, the best this year. And, and and with all this personal life stuff off the field and with losing his head coach, which a brilliant offensive mind that got him a Super Bowl ring, um, I thought the, I thought the, the, I thought it was over. But this might be the springboard that he needs to uh, to go back and the NFC South is a horrible division and I mean that's going to be the their easiest way to get to the playoff is is to win the South so I give it up uh, Tom Brady stills a goat and uh, Father Time doesn't take airplanes Caleb do you have your overreaction absolutely so. Sean, I apologize because this is a little salt in the wound from earlier, but we just had the best week of the 2022 NFL season. So with that, uh, Thursday night football wasn't great. I don't think we have a lot to write home about it so far this year. I'm going to give that one a pass. But uh, the game at Alliance Arena over in Munich, beautiful scene. Uh, the Buck Seahawks game was pretty good. Having them sing songs like Country Roads and just – embracing and having this time of just a real spectacle they said fans were in the seats for an hour after the game just waiting to be around players and things like that like a truly unique one-of-a-kind experience that grows the nfl and what a beautiful moment that really would have been to be there then we come back to the states what a comeback by the vikings Justin Jefferson may have had the best catch I've ever seen when he pulled that down, uh, despite the fact that the Bills defender should have spiked the ball. It was fourth and 18. You don't need the interception. Just punch it out of there. But, you know, it's tough not to catch it when you think you've got it. The Lions beat the Bears because the Bears missed an extra point, and Justin Fields looks really good. I mean, the Broncos were in a one-score game. Uh, The Dolphins blew out the Browns, but no one likes the Browns this year. Uh, T.J. Watt came back, and he looked like the same great T.J. Watt that we've been missing. We had the Jeff Saturday game where Matt Ryan showed up again, and, you know, they went to the Raiders and beat them, which always makes my co-host Derek happy. 
Then uh, the Packers came back in overtime to beat the Cowboys. The Packers win. It's a good day. Cowboys lose. It's a good day. Okay, I'm not going to talk much about Cardinals-Rams because if you're excited for Wofford versus Colt McCoy, you already love football about as much as I do anyway. And, I mean, we did have the, the final undefeated team in the NFL go down on Monday night. So, in my opinion, this is definitely the best week we're going to have. You're not going to be able to top this with any other week this season. Ooh, yeah. Let's go. Wow, what an overreaction. Um, it was some good football um, that was being played. Sean, in the reaction to the first two overreactions, and uh, do you have an overreaction yourself? Uh, I mean, Brady uh, Brady going through and, and, you know, both surprising and not surprising anybody is, I think, again, both simultaneously the most and least surprising thing. Brady is always going to be Brady. You can never count him out. Uh, obviously, I'm not a huge fan of this last week of football. Um, I think Monday night could have been a little bit better. But I think the weekend was great. Um, and actually, I do have an overreaction of my own. Uh, I legitimately think at this point the Bills might miss the playoffs, guys. So the, the, look, at the, look at a couple of things. And there are a couple of key factors I want to point out. One, they are now third in the division. Uh, Caleb and I had been talking about... Um, where we were going to place the Bills and power rankings uh, heading into this past week. And I was much, much lower on them. And I mentioned, I think, I mean, they're probably about to be in third place in their division, and they have some tough divisional games coming up. So there's, I don't think it's going to be something where the Bills, you know, miss the playoffs just because they're playing poorly. I think that suddenly the... The division is in the kind of the same situation that the NFC East is. Teams are doing better, and the baseline for winning the division is much, much tougher. And I think that Josh Allen is actually much more banged up than people are really realizing. He's had a quarterback rating under 80 the last three weeks. He's thrown six interceptions to three touchdowns. That running game is non-existent, guys. Singletary, and it's not even that Singletary is bad. It's not really that I think James Cook is bad. It's not that, like, Naheem Hines is bad. It's that in regards to the way that they scheme, everything goes through Josh Allen. And when Josh Allen isn't 100%, there is nobody else in that offense that is able to step up and make the difference. That defense is banged up, right? They they played exceptionally well at the start of the season, almost, like, nightmaringly good. And then you look at the last, like the, I would say the last half of the season so far, they've consistently been giving up 20 plus points and the offense just isn't clicking consistently enough. And I don't think the Bills are really overplaying their competition. Um, I, so I, I have a fear, and the Dolphins, in my opinion, are playing hands down some of the best football that, you know, we've seen thus far in the season. Every game that Tua has played the full game, They've won. Tua's putting up some historic stats uh, alongside Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Um, and the Jets' defense is for real. You can say anything that you want about Zach Wilson and the way that offense runs. Sauce Gardner is for real. Their scheming is for real. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden, here come the Patriots grinding out wins with a team that, 
you know, people expected to not be fighting for 500 right now, uh, but be far below it, right? It's going to be tough. The Bills have an uphill battle. And I don't know if Josh Allen, who is the first quarterback to throw double-digit interceptions thus far this season, um, is going to be able to do it. You know what, people? This is why we have Sean on the podcast. Is Not only is the passion there, but he has well-thought-out ideas and brings the receipts. I love it. So uh, I'm going to to overreact just a little bit on, the, on there. Uh, cool your Jets, because we haven't seen the Jets at the end of the season. They, they're going to grow this year. And I think by the end of the year, the, uh, the Bills are going to be second place in that division. I like your, your Dolphins take, but I don't trust the Jets. Um, I love Sauce Gardner. I don't trust the Jets at the end of the year. Caleb, any thoughts? I mean, they're 0-2 in the division. They lost to the Jets and Dolphins already. I don't know with the seventh wildcard spot if I think there's going to be enough. But that race is going to be spicy because, I mean, it's going to be like them and the Bengals and a couple of other flawed teams trying to get into that final spot. I mean, it's very true. And uh, we shall see um, as the team with the highest net points in that division at 99. They have scored 99 more points than their uh, opponents. I, I, I'll trust the Bills uh, overall. Uh, so now, let's take a breath. Now, now how much of that, though, was them slaughtering the Titans and Steelers early in the season? A lot, but... A lot of it. A lot of that were those two, two big games. I just wanna, I just wanna defend my point. It's a snitch. No, um, but no, I kind of agree with you, you on right. the Jets stuff. There's a lot of question marks. There are a lot of questions. Besides, this is an overreaction. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that you're wrong. You could be very well right. I'm just going to say that I don't, tr- I don't trust the Jets. And the second most net points in that division is 37 with the Patriots. So it's a 62 point differential. Um, and so either way, I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to, to, to go underneath the table and uh, hear the bing, bing, bings as under the radar. Here we come. My favorite subject is a Raiders losing. Um, my second favorite subject is the Broncos winning, but I'm going to, I don't get to talk about that this year. Um, so the Raiders last year had uh, a lot of turmoil. They had a big name coach. They fired said big name coach. And then they had a, an assistant coach come in, uh, a special teams coach, frankly, by the name of Rich Passaccia. Um, in his 12 games that he had as the head coach, he went seven and five. He didn't have uh, Devontae Adams. He just had the pieces that were there. They made the playoffs last year. This year, the Raiders went out and found themselves a coach they know very well. He coached the Denver Broncos to a playoff win. I feel like throwing up after saying that. 
Um, but he took the Kyle Orton and Tim Tebow-led teams, and they won at least one playoff game. This year, the Raiders, who have arguably the best receiver in the NFL, definitely a top-five receiver, depends on, on you know his value to you, and they have won two games and lost seven. We are nine games into a 17-game season. And if they win the rest of their games, they're going to have just barely more wins than a special teams coordinator that had broken pieces last year. As much as I dislike Nathaniel Hackett, and think that, you know, there should be some conversations. Um, the Raiders have to uh, to get rid of Josh McDaniels. He's not head coach material. He doesn't know how to game plan. He has a pretty decent quarterback in Derek Carr. At least this quarterback knows how to spell his first name correctly. Um, he's got a great receiver. And um, Josh Jacobs is a good running back figure out you you're supposed to be this offensive genius and frankly i think tom brady has made your career so raiders maybe keep josh mcdaniel forever because i want to see them lose but at the same time i don't want him to have a job in the nfl because he's not a good head coach anyone have any thoughts i uh i cannot agree more with everything that you've said. I would love to see McDaniels continue to flounder. Um, I He's done a lot of teams that aren't the New England Patriots pretty dirty uh, in his career with, uh, with some will-he-won't-he moves and just his overall mentality and attitude. So seeing him continuously look bad, I mean, I'm all for it. Anytime there's a chance that a team could be paying more NFL head coaches than the Nebraska Cornhuskers I'm for <laughs> it. So that got me. That really, really got me. Uh, I mean, hey, it's another New England Patriots, uh, uh, you know, uh, offensive coordinator for you guys to to bring in. You know, so nah, I'll pass. Sean, why don't you go under the radar? Uh, and, and we'll we'll finish up with Caleb afterwards. Sure. So something that I think, and again, this this kind of disgusts me to talk about. Um, but you know, with the Eagles' loss on Monday, uh, the New York Football Giants are not just one game out of the division. They are actually one game out of having the first seed in the NFC and having home field advantage in the playoffs, which I think heading into this season, if, you know, somebody was to tell you that you'd be like, yeah, diehard Giants fan, uh, a delusional diehard Giants fan at that. But the job that Dabble has done is nothing short of miraculous. They have no wide receivers, man. None. Darius Slayton is their wide receiver one right now. And that man could not even like remotely get close to a fantasy roster, um, let alone like an NFL roster. He 
And pretty much every other wide receiver right now in that group, they're just, they're jacks. They're just guys. But the way that that offense is clicking is wonderful. And they're getting the job done, right? You look at that roster from, you know, top to bottom. And I wouldn't say that it's a top 16 roster in the NFL. I wouldn't. But what you see consistently in the NFL is there's always one or two teams that are in the upper half of teams that are massively overperforming on the back of good, sound coaching. And you also see teams that are in the back half of the NFL that have amazing rosters but are there because of bad coaching. So for me, you know, if the Giants continue to do well, like coach of the year candidate, right? Hands down, coach of the year candidate. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like I, as an Eagles fan, I'm nervous. Like I'm legit. And I even before the, the game against Washington, I'm like, I, I feel like the Giants are much more for real than people are giving them credit for. Because, you again, you always have teams that overperform. Like look at the Bears a few years ago when they started out undefeated and people are like oh bears like yeah, it's a joke they're undefeated worst undefeated team ever and uh it was kind of the case they everything was very fluky and it seemed like they were scraping by but this team is overperforming in a way that's impressive right and shows that there might actually be a little bit of longevity here because they're getting it done and that's at the end of the day what matters sean i want to bring your two points together real quick because I think this is the thing the Giants are doing well and what scares me about the Bills, especially with Dabble leaving Buffalo to become the Giants head coach. The Giants are playing all these close one-score games, but they're showing that they know how to win in one-score games. Buffalo has had back-to-back weeks where they've got to get it done in crunch time, and they're struggling. Buffalo, before that, they were just pounding people in before the fourth quarter. That's one way to win, but you also need to be able to win when it's close. And that's what makes me nervous about Buffalo, but also a little nervous about New York. Their schedule, they've only played one divisional game. They lost it. After this coming week where they host the Lions, it's at Dallas on Thanksgiving, Commanders, Eagles, Commanders, at Vikings. Then there's two weeks left. Let's see how they do when they've gone through the NFC East ringer for some games because everyone else in that division has played more than the Giants have. I think that's fair. I I absolutely agree that, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to see what they, and again, I hope they flounder. Um, but it's just, to me, it's it's surprising how good they've been and even more surprising than I think a lot of people are are feeling about it. I will give you the surprise factor because I did not see this happening at all. Like, I thought there was going to be, you know, maybe a winning season, you know, maybe getting to the, the 10 win, you know, maybe pushing it to 11 wins or something like that, um, you know, toward the end of the season picking up something over the commanders, maybe splitting one with Dallas, something like that. But they are really doing some good things, and they are doing some things that look like uh, 
you know, they could win in the future. Um, if they, they fix a few pieces, they look like a few pieces away versus a rebuild away. So I think you're, uh, you're right on, on that. Uh, do you want to move over to Caleb? What's your uh, under the radar? So, Sean, I knew you were coming on. I wanted to include this because I knew that this would be slightly related to, to Philly. But um, I'm looking back, and the trades that Mickey Loomis and the New Orleans Saints made to acquire Chris Olave may be the worst moves ever made by an NFL GM. So for those of you who don't remember, originally the Saints only had the 19th pick in the draft. They traded all of these combined to get to 16, which the Eagles had, and then they traded up with the Commanders to get to 11, to get Olave. Two 2022 third rounders, a 2022 fourth rounder, a 2023 first rounder, and a 2024 second rounder. That's a lot of picks. Not that Chris Olave is not doing well. I do not want any of this to be about what Chris Olave has done, because let's face it, if they didn't have him, we'd be hearing about Marquez Callaway and Marquez Colston and Taysom Hill catching passes all the time. It, it wouldn't be pretty. They, they might try to run Alvin Kamara as if he were Derrick Henry. And I love Alvin Kamara, but he is not Derrick Henry. Built very differently. Right now, the pick that they traded to Philly is expected to be the fourth overall pick in the draft. And I don't know that I'm picking the Saints to win much more. I mean... They could potentially win another game in their division because they play against the horrible Panthers and the horrible Falcons. But the fact that right now they could be picking after Philadelphia is, they could be picking ahead of Jacksonville in this year's draft. No one did that for the past two drafts. Like, you're going to let Howie Roseman just come in and rob you like this? Saints, what are you doing? This is going under the radar, and I'm assuming it'll get called out in February when it's draft season, but I'm calling it out now because I want it on the record that this was horrible. You mean great? It's great. <laughs> great. Um, so I, I want to give I want to give the Saints a little bit of credit, right? Because I mean I think the one of the storylines that's kind of lost is how loaded this wide receiver draft class was this past season, and how a lot of people predicted um, Garrett Wilson falling to them, and then the Jets grabbing Garrett Wilson there was, in some ways, kind of a surprise pick. And so I think that with, you know, the, 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 the panic, right, that can set in sometimes when players that you're desperately wanting aren't, the, the draft isn't falling the same way. Like if you guys, if, if any of the listeners have done, you know, dynasty football, 
fantasy, fantasy football, rookie drafts can be contentious because all of a sudden there are a couple of picks that catch you completely off guard. An owner, you know, we in my dynasty, we had somebody pick Sky Moore, Sky Moore, second overall rookie draft. Obviously, that didn't really pan out for him. But that caused this cascading effect of all of a sudden a bunch of players ended up available to owners that weren't expecting to have them available. Olave actually fell to me at the seventh overall um, behind like Traylon Burks and Jamison Williams and Sky Moore. So, you know, sometimes you end up with these little surprises. But when you are an NFL GM, stakes are a smidge bigger, smidge bigger. And as an Eagles fan, I love what's happened. Uh, you couldn't have expected Jameis Winston to be as battered as he was or as he's been. And I think that, you know, that division is weak. And if a couple of things would have happened differently, that, that pick might not have been as as high up there. But, you know, now they're riding the the Andy Dalton train and that's going nowhere. And it's just it's worked out. Sometimes you mortgage your future and you end up with a with a Super Bowl. Sometimes you mortgage your future and you end up with nothing. Uh, it's the Rams last year and this year. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. The, I'm the go with the, uh, is back. I want to go a little bit of a step further on the under the radar for Caleb. I think the Saints are just a firehouse waiting to happen they keep kicking down their uh their draft capital their uh they're over the cap the cap hits they keep pushing it down and pushing it down just like the rams did last year except for the fact that rams are only a piece or two away from a super bowl the saints are not um they don't have a quarterback um i don't know if they have a quarterback at all, like who can throw the ball? I mean, I, I don't trust any of the guys that throw the, the football. And then they they play that whole Taysom Hill game back and forth, where we're going to pay him this, but then if he does that, then he gets more money. And then if he plays this amount of snaps, they just they're going to pay. They just need to burn it down for uh, for four or five years. I mean, they know how to be the ants. They were that for most of my childhood. So I think the Saints just need to restart. I think that's fair. I think it's a fair take. Uh, so we're going to move on to our next segment. And Sean, as a returning champion, I, I want you to introduce this and, and help us out with this amazing segment. All right. Um, boys and girls, it has been a while since I have been able to do this. So I apologize in advance if there is any rust um, but without further ado, let's talk about the best NFL power rankings probably on this planet. And I would like to say in the entire solar system. I haven't checked to see if Saturn's you know, power rankings are any better than ours, but I'm going to go on the limb and assume it's, it's probably us. So what we do, if you are unfamiliar with power rankings, um, then one, I'm surprised you're listening to an NFL podcast, um, but two... What we do is we take all 32 NFL teams um, between myself, Caleb, Derek, and uh, an additional third party. We rank them 1 through 32 based on how good we think they are relative to one another. Combine everything, and I have some really great algorithms that I use to ultimately determine 
what it is that is the best team all the way down to the worst team. Now we split up into four specific brackets of eight teams. And so we have at the bottom our basement, which are teams that they ain't making the playoffs. They have no chance. No, no chance, not a hope and a prayer. The next batch of eight, we have the aspiring tier. These are teams that maybe a couple things had gone their way. Uh, they could be on the cusp of a playoff berth. Maybe things might go their way. We don't know, but right now they are on the outside looking in. The next eight we have are, are, are I skipped the wavering. Sorry, the wavering tier. I see, I told you I'm rusty, right? So the, the eight that are close are the wavering tier, but the aspiring tier. No, no, no. Those are teams nine through 16. They are in the playoff hunt. And the highest tier is our playoff tier, which I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. So without further ado, let's start at the bottom so we can get here. Coming in at number 32, the Houston Texans, 31, Las Vegas Raiders, 30, New Orleans Saints, 29, <laughs> champions, Los Angeles Rams, uh, 28, Carolina Panthers, 27, Indianapolis Colts, 26, Jacksonville Jaguars. And unfortunately for Derek, rounding out at number 25 in the basement tier, we have the Denver Broncos. So guys, let's talk about these Rams. Uh, Cooper Cup, high ankle sprain, going to have surgery. Putting on, put on injured reserve, out for at least the next four weeks, potentially more if the Rams decide that it's not worth it to bring them back. Stafford was out with a concussion. So now these guys are three and six and only have a 3.4% chance of making the playoffs, according to our friends over at Football Outsiders. Now, if you're Sean McVay, what are you doing differently to give your team the best possible chance and maybe bumping up that three and a half percent to actually see postseason glory this season. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's start with you, Derek. What is it that the Rams can do, if anything at all? Yeah, so there is one thing that I see that the Rams can do to change their entire fortunes, go back to the Super Bowl this year, get on their hands and knees, beg and plead, and run a big old check to Kevin O'Connell. Um, he has left the Rams last year. He was the quote-unquote OC um, for the Los Angeles Rams. As everyone knows, you have a you have a sit-down lunch with Sean McVay. You can get a head coaching job. Everybody except for Jeff Saturday, I guess he just had a lunch with somebody else. But uh, Kevin Kevin O'Connell went to the Vikings. They are seven and one this year, um, gr doing very well. A revitalized. Uh, Kirk Cousins, it, it looks, it looks great. I'm sorry, I misspoke. It's eight and one for the, for them currently. Um, I don't know what he did while he was in LA, but clearly it worked. Um, I maybe Sean McVay is having to do too much with the other portions of the team, and he can't focus on the offense. Maybe Matthew Stafford pushed everything in last year and is not living up to the standards this year uh, of being able to do it. Um, maybe it's Robert Woods. There's a lot of pieces here and there that um, have changed. Um, you know, Robert Woods has gone to another team. They brought in Allen Robinson. Um, and it's just not clicking. It's, there's, and I don't think that you're going to be able to get through the 49ers or the Seahawks this year to get that um, to get to get the lead in the NFC West. So 
I don't think there's anything they can do except for beg, plead, uh, and bring back Kevin O'Connell. I, I think that's a perfect take. Um, I mean, you look at the Frank Reich uh, Sirianni situation where True. Sirianni left, and then all of a sudden the Eagles are doing great, and then you know he's no longer the head coach of the Colts. Um, I, that offensive line's a problem. Their run game has been a, a nightmare. Nobody knows what's going on with Cam Akers or Daryl Henderson. Uh, Kyron Williams came off of IR, has done nothing. We'll see what happens there. But no, I think that's a perfect, perfect example. I think Van Jefferson being out didn't really give them a downfield stretch. Um, sure. A lot of forced plays to Cooper Cup um, and an offense. That, and I think Matt Stafford's poor health has finally started to, to catch up with them. I mean, that dude is battered and bruised. And I think that is he is every bit um, as worn down as any other quarterback that's older than him, uh, if not more so. Uh, Caleb, anything different than that's been mentioned that you want to add to it before we go on to the wavering tier? Well, I mean, first, uh, beg Andrew Whitworth with everything you have oh, in you very to true. come back because, I mean, they did some begging last year in the playoffs. Eric Weddle, can you come be our safety, pretty please? Um Andrew, we we need to tackle. We need someone who can actually block people. Uh, the guy who was your backup is out for the season. We need you, and I I don't think McVeigh would do this, but I would almost say put Ben Skoranek back there at quarterback and run the Wildcat. Like I I don't think that what they're doing is going to work. Cooper Cup's out, like we said, for the next four weeks. It's not like Wofford. He's not getting it done. Not with this line. Not with this talent. OBJ's not coming through that door. He's probably would... looking and gone. I'm kind of glad I haven't signed there. because uh, they look like a mess. Oh, he's going to Dallas, Ben. Going to da- he's going to my division. I know it's gonna happen. He's going to Dallas, he's going to New York. I don't that would be really awkward. It wouldn't, would it? New York. It would, right? Um, um so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I, I just don't think that there's a whole lot. Like defensively, they're good. Offensively, they're so bad. And it just sounds weird because it's like everyone touted McVeigh as this wonderkind. And I it to me feels like he's going up against that Patriots defense in the Super Bowl week in and week out. Like he just has nothing going the right way. And he just he literally cannot get it done. Let me double check one more thing real quick as far as how much they're getting per game right now. And and I, while you're doing that, I want to add something that I think is kind of interesting. If you look at it maybe over the last 10, 12 years or so, really when offenses started to, I would say like late 2000s, when offenses really started to shift to like airing it out as the primary, like the, the era of LaDainian Tomlinson, and, you know, it's gone. And suddenly everything is about, you know, we no longer have that stud running back. We're throwing the football 40, 50 times a game rather than 20, 30. Offensive line injuries will take a team from being an A team to being a B minus at best. And no amount of defensive fortitude is going to allow you to win football games if your offensive line can't give your quarterback enough time to actually make decisions before they find themselves flat on their back. 
So I feel like if you look at a lot of teams that were either made won the Super Bowl, made the Super Bowl, were in the like the the NFC AFC championship or had a really good run, offensive line issues that following year, whether it be injury or whether it be losing in free agency or even sometimes retirement, it just off easily the the most threadbare position in the NFL where your your best guys are the best guys. And then the next tier down, there's just no depth, right? There's just no depth there. But did you find what you're looking for, Caleb? Yeah, so based off of their points per game so far this year, they're averaging less than Davis Mills and the Houston Texans. Oh, my gosh. Like, Davis Mills, Brandon Cooks, who wants to get traded out, they lost Mechie before the season. Like, you probably can't name anyone on that offense outside of the people I've mentioned and Damian Pierce. Isn't Nico Collins like, still there? Well, I, I, <laughs> I almost called him out already. I couldn't. I didn't decide to do that. But like, it's very limited. Hey, you know like, Benjamin's there now too. Well, that's recent signing. It counts. It, it counts. Okay, it counts. It's it's bad when your offense is being ranked with in the bottom five as one of the worst in the league and you're supposed to be an offensive guy. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. They are a dumpster fire. They definitely belong uh, in the bottom four teams of our power rankings. And I honestly, we might be surprised to see them pop out of the basement at any point throughout the rest of the season. Well, the next tier they'd be able to go into is the wavering tier. So we might not see them there, but teams that we do have there right now, starting at number 24, Chicago bears, 23 Pittsburgh Steelers, 22 Cleveland Browns, 21 Detroit Lions, 20 Caleb's Green Bay Packers, uh, 19 Atlanta Falcons, 18 Arizona Cardinals, who has uh, so abruptly dropped Eno Benjamin. I'm really curious to see what the situation ends up being on that. Uh, And then coming in at number 17, victorious over my Philadelphia Eagles as of Monday, the Washington Commanders. But let's actually backtrack a bit. Let's talk about the Lions, right? Back-to-back games, back-to-back divisional wins. They're out of the basement. They're in the wavering tier, right? That's that's always a good step for them. Uh, probably a one of the most uh, feel-good coaches of any you know NFL team. Um, Campbell's always a, a very fun-loving guy. Always wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, what is it that's going right for Detroit? Right. What is it that I mean, there was a lot of um, hype after the first couple of weeks where their offense was clicking in despite of the fact they were giving up a gajillion points every game. Right. But they started to right the ship a bit. Um, Caleb, what is working for them that you want to see, you know, them continue to do? The main thing that I've seen is you've got to go out there and feed the sun god. They've they've got Amon Ross St. Brown back. He's been doing much better now that he's healthy again in in both of those wins. And if you want to add in their four-point loss to the Dolphins, because let's face it, the Dolphins are also really good. He's been back. Um, He got banged up earlier in the year, but he was a big factor in their win over the Commanders. He was a big factor when they played the Eagles close and in the close loss to Minnesota. All of those early games, the Lions were feasting, and they're looking more like the team that we thought they could be. In the loss to Miami, 
Seven catches, 10 targets, 69 yards. Against the Packers, a little bit more muted, but four catches, nine targets, 55 yards. And then against the Bears, 10 catches on 11 targets for 119 yards. He hasn't gotten back in the end zone yet, but I think in general, you see him, you see his threat. And because Williams hasn't come back yet, they have to have St. Brown on the field for you to respect the pass. And they don't need TJ Hawkinson to make you do that. I can, I completely agree there. Um, I think that if you look, and, and for me, it's that's one of the two big things that, that stands out for me. Um, and again, as somebody who's you know pretty big into, into fantasy, uh, I think the emergence um, this season of Jamal Williams in lieu of DeAndre Swift has been, now I get it, Swift's been injured, but man, is the phrase Swift's been injured been uttered like, I think at every single instance of Swift's career, it seems like the man perpetually has a Q tag next to his name going into every single week. You know, Swift is a is a very elusive guy. He's excellent at catching out of the backfield. But you know what? That might not necessarily, you know, be what the Lions need to have good offensive balance. Jamal Williams is still a talented runner, but you know what the best ability is? in the sport of football is availability and having somebody like Williams weekend and week out who, you know, is going to be a threat, right? I mean, Swift's already wanting out of Detroit. Now he's, he, there's some recent like uh, disgruntled news coming out of his camp about his, getting frustrated with his usage. And you know what? It's warranted. He isn't getting used, but guess what? He's not getting used because Jamal Williams has stepped up in a big way. And then him alongside Amon Ra have enabled the Lions to do things offensively once again, similar to how they've been doing it early in the year. Defensively, they just need to step up. They just need to have some consistency. Uh, what do you think, Derek? Anything we missed? Yeah, so nothing. Just a cherry on top of, of both you guys' points because you're so much better at uh, communicating that uh, this is a bend but don't break team now. So the last couple of games, it has been figure out how to stop at the end. So Peyton Manning, for so many years when he was in Indianapolis, they had a, a bend but don't break defense. You can have as many yards as you want between 120 and the other 20. Um, so the middle of the field, all yours. You can run up and down. You can throw the ball everywhere. But once you get into the scoring zone, I, I don't know if I can use the red zone term on a podcast, but once you get to the scoring zone, they would shut you down. And you wouldn't be able to, to score touchdowns. You would score field goals while the, while the Colts were scoring touchdowns. This is where that the team mindset's going to. By the way, I called them out a couple weeks back and said, uh, head coach, you are not the, the guy for this job. And looks like he listened to me because they've won a couple of games in a row. They've beaten uh, both the Packers and the Bears. Okay, you know, I, I'm going to chalk it up to me. I'm the best ever. But just do enough to get it over the goal line, to get that, to get the W at the end of the day. Who cares 
If you're favored, who cares? If you are the underdog, just go out there and figure out a way to win at the end of the day. Caleb, you made a really good point. I just wanted to, to jabber my jaws a little bit. No, I, I think that's a I think it's a fair take as well. And you know, when your when your talent is skewed on one side of the ball, right? It, it always becomes how do you not how do you balance it talent wise, but how you how do you balance it, you know, scheme wise? And how do you balance the the coaching approach? And you know, where where guys know like they're not dumb. NFL players, you know, and NFL coaches aren't dumb. They can see, hey, you know, in order for us to accommodate for the fact that we're, you know, defensively inconsistent, how do we make a difference in our games, you know, where we're going to have a a chance? Teams like uh, one we're going to talk about here in the aspiring tier have done exactly that where balance is a big issue but they are winning games on the back of understanding how to deal with that balance so let's actually talk about the teams in the aspiring tier so 16 through 9 uh, coming in at 16 we have the los angeles chargers 15 tampa bay buccaneers 14 seattle seahawks 13 new england patriots 12 tennessee titans 11 cincinnati bengals 10 san francisco 49ers coming in at number nine the new york jets so if you couldn't guess, the team that I'm talking about is the Tennessee Titans, sitting at 6-3, and three, dominating the AFC South, which isn't really a big feat in itself, but it's still happening. Um, Tannehill's back, passing games returned. Uh, Tannehill threw 36 times. Finally, he's throwing the football. But the real question is, how much do you actually trust that offense to score points? Um, they The most that they've scored this season, 24 points against the Raiders, um, and then at Indianapolis, Traylon Burks is back from injured reserve, but so far he's been kind of a bust. A.J. Brown so thoroughly missed. Um, thank you again, Tennessee. We love you. Um, but do you trust this offense to actually win a postseason game on the back of running Derrick Henry into the ground? Uh, hopefully he makes it the whole season. Um, or do you feel like this is another one and done? Like, is is this the, the one-note Titans team that we all know and maybe not love, but know and expect to see the same things. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, Derek, like your uh, your your thoughts. Is this um, is this Henry train gonna you know keep chugging into the postseason, or what are we gonna see? Yeah. So a couple weeks back, I said that the the Titans were going to be the under the radar team like they were last year. They're going to figure out a way to have a really good record because they're beating up on on those other teams that are in there in their division. And that's what they're going to do. Um, but at the same time, they're, I don't think they're going to score enough points for uh, to win in the playoffs. And because. We're, we're talking about 24 points, 21 points, 19 points, 17 points. I just don't think that sooner or later you do what the Broncos do and you just shut down the run game and make Tannehill throw the ball. Well, that's kind of a – that's not going to work because the other team is going to be able to score points. You beat the Broncos by seven points. And yes, I want to throw my Broncos under the bus. If any other team did that, did this game other than the Broncos, the Titans would have lost like 35 to maybe 17. Um, the Broncos just don't have a scoring offense 
even though they have a what everyone thought was a great quarterback. Teams are going to key on Derrick Henry, and yeah, he's still going to get his yards, you know, 65, 70 yards, but you're going to have to put it, put that barbell on Ryan Tannehill, and down the stretch, he's not going to be able to, to win more than one playoff game. Uh, I don't see them going deep in the playoffs. I... I think that's a pretty fair take. I, I want to hold my thoughts on it. I'm going to jump over to Caleb. Caleb, Titans one and done, or do they have a chance at uh, surprising some people? So I am going to give them at least a home game because, of course, they're going to win that division. And I'm curious. I'm really just kind of curious where all of this lands. We've already had some of this discussion around the AFC East and what kind of chaos is going to happen there. Um, I think that the Titans would hate to see the Jets win the division. Because if Miami and Buffalo are potentially two wild cards, they do not match up well against Miami or Buffalo. But if you somehow get the Jets, maybe the Patriots are in a wild card, a Chargers team that is, in my opinion, very underwhelming, or you could have a playoff rematch against Joe Burrow I mean if Jamar Chase isn't back that might be okay but I I lean way more on the one and done side than I do on I'm trusting them to get a win if I were putting percentages on it right now I'd say 85% one and done 15% I'm saying there's a chance and that chance is probably Mike Vrabel calls up Bill Belichick and says, hey, I saw you did some weird things to Zach Wilson. Can you clue me in a little bit? And Zach Wilson goes out and throws like three picks and a 10 to three Titans win. Like ugliest playoff game with Sala and Vrabel as the coaches. That wouldn't be, wouldn't that be funny? I, I, I want to point out something, and I think that this that this bears, you know, like, uh, you guys kind of hinted at it, and I, I want to top this off with, look at who the Titans have lost to. They've lost to the Giants, they've lost to the Bills, they've lost to the Chiefs. All three of these teams, as it stands right now, you know, again, I might, the Bills might miss the playoffs, <laughs> but... As it stands right now, all three of these are playoff teams. We have seen that. And the, and the worst loss, obviously, was the Bills absolutely demolishing them. But they've otherwise kept it close. And I think that's kind of the interesting dynamic that could potentially see them not being a one and done. Is that the reality becomes, yeah, everybody knows what the Titans are going to do. But they still do it. It still happens. Derrick Henry still runs for a gajillion yards, even though he's, you know, for all intents and purposes past his prime, he's still doing the same thing he's always done for his entire career. And it keeps games close, right? The formula for winning for them has never been having Tannehill throw it 40, 50 times a game, right? This isn't like Tom Brady and the Bucks, where he has to throw it 50 times a game. Otherwise, that offense isn't going to do anything. An offense manages to make things happen, and their defense consistently keeps them in these games, right? 
that that aberration to the Bills is the most points that they've given up by like double. If you look at it, the the rest they're averaging like keeping teams under twenty points a game. That is super impressive, and so I feel like yeah, they could be a one and done, but I really don't know if their offense is going to be the big reason why. I think if they have a um, a performance like they did against the Bills, if they are on the road, then that becomes a problem. So maybe they win their wild card matchup, and then end up as you know a uh, a road team. I mean, depending on how things how things fall with their rest of their schedule, and that's where they end up uh, end up getting knocked out. But let's talk about the playoffs. Let's talk about some playoff teams, guys. Um, coming in at number eight, unfortunately, is the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, seven, the New York Football Giants. Six, Buffalo Bills. Five, Baltimore Ravens. Four, Miami Dolphins. Three, Kansas City Chiefs. Two, Minnesota Vikings. And coming in at number one, the first time that I actually get to say this, I think, while uh, on this podcast, the Philadelphia Eagles, even though they they lost, still coming in at number one. But let's talk about the uh, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the only uh, loss they have is to that number one Philadelphia Eagles, um, and they are on the back of beating a you know big big postseason favorite uh, in Buffalo. They fought all game long. They managed to 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 win. Uh, I think. If you look at the uh, the the playoff or not the playoff the the win percentage like graph was all over the place that game for good reason. Um, Patrick Peterson getting the job done. Kirk Cousins once again getting ice on the plane. Taylor Heineke you know did his best impression, but that's still that's still Kirk Cousins thing. Minnesota's just enjoying it, right? I, I think that's one of the things that I've really observed about a lot of these teams that have young squads and have young coaches is that the the environment's not tense and you can see Minnesota really just like living it up um but Justin Jefferson that catch was insane he is just making things he's Mr. reliable in that offense they wouldn't have even had a remote chance at winning that game if not for Justin Jefferson heroics 10 catches 193 yards to touchdown that 4th and 18 catch is going to be a YouTube highlight for decades, uh, an NFL highlight for decades. Um, Justin Jefferson, Offensive Player of the Year, MVP candidate, do you guys think? Um, and I guess a follow-up, who do you think is the best wide receiver of this young generation? I would say wide receivers three years in the NFL or younger. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, Caleb, we'll have you kick it off because Derek kicked off the last one. Uh, do you think that Justin Jefferson is in the discussion for Offensive Player of the Year and MVP, for that matter, as a non-quarterback? I think I would go with the fact that I'm giving him Offensive Player of the Year because I do think it frequently comes down to being the best non-quarterback award. Um, I'm not sure who the MVP will be, but I know that if you're looking at someone on the Vikings, you're not giving it to Kirk Cousins. So I definitely think with how Jefferson has kind of stood out, like, yes, they have solid players around him, like Cook and Thielen, and now they traded for Hawkinson. But I definitely think OPOY, I'm going to say, let's at least get, get that hype trade going. MVP, I'm probably still leaning towards Mahomes, Hurts, 
Tua, you mentioned. Um, there's just so many other names there. Even though Jefferson probably deserves to be talked about with some of them because Minnesota wouldn't be where they're at without him. Now, best young receiver in the NFL. I think I can say that too. I, I really think that in general, there's not someone that is, I would take him over Jamar Chase. He's just so stinking good. Already this year, he's cleared 1,000 yards. So three straight seasons of over 1,000 yards receiving. 21 touchdowns in his career. Putting up about 120 yards a game this year. You know they're going to get him the ball. Kind of like you mentioned with Tennessee. Justin Jefferson's getting the ball. Buffalo knew Justin Jefferson's getting the ball. They didn't stop it. I mean, so I'm I'm on the Justin Jefferson hype train as much as it pains me uh, to love on someone in my division like this. Although he didn't have three touchdowns like a rookie wide receiver this week. So I'll just get that out there to cleanse the palate a little bit and uh, let, let Sean take it back. That, that, that four catches for three touchdowns is definitely... No, definitely not fluky at all. Um, so I I want to point out um, like two things on on this. One, uh, I think that he, if we want to say, you know, wide receivers who have you know been in the league for a couple of years now, then yes, I think he is he is the guy. I think Jalen Waddle is somebody you need to keep your eyes on. Um, I I think one of the things that ends up happening a lot of times is you look at, you know, wide receivers based on how flashy they are and how, you know, the the big catch, right? The, the, the big play. And sometimes you forget about players that just kind of sneak under the radar, get a ton of volume targets and get the job done. Is anybody going to say that Marvin Harrison wasn't one of the best wide receivers of all time? Right? He wasn't the big flashy guy, but... He had he had the volume. He was reliable, and he got the job done. So I think Jefferson edges out everybody else right now. But I would put Waddle right up there. And actually, I want to talk about my pick for offensive player of the year, and then I'll go over to Derek. Uh, I think it's Tyreek Hill, man. I think it's Tyreek Hill. He doesn't have the touchdowns, right? He doesn't have the touchdowns. But the way Hill and Waddle have unlocked Tua is the same way that you're seeing with like um, Devonta Smith and AJ Brown unlocking Jalen Hurts. Get your your young quarterbacks, some some guys who can make plays, right? Who can stretch the field and watch them work their magic. Um, he had a bit of a of a I would say I'm mean, an off game, right? It was just the the way that the the you know the the game against the Browns worked out. They were up 17-7 at the half, um, like 30-10 to 10 at the end of the third. You're not going to need to throw it out, air it out a whole bunch. They had uh, almost 200 rushing yards. But right now, if, if they had to have an air it out game, I mean, Hill has eclipsed, 
you know, the thousand yard mark like two weeks ago is on pace to have a historic season. And I think that almost 200 yard game for Jefferson may have opened up, you know, the the race a bit and made the odds a bit closer. But man, I still think it's Tyreek Hill's to lose. I don't know about MVP, right? If the Eagles keep getting the job done, I think that's hurts, um, you know, but we we will have to see. Uh, what do you think? Best young receiver, right? And then do you think that he, Jefferson, is the odds-on favorite for Offensive Player of the Year slash MVP? Okay, so we kind of bring it into several little sections here. Jefferson, Justin Jefferson is in the discussion for Offensive Player of the Year if he continues to do what he's doing. Discussion, yes. T- you know, top five vote receiver in that discussion. You know, that's where I put him at. I'm on your page when it comes to Tyree Kill. I think when you go to a new team, what you know, what has happened? What do you you know? Like, what are? How do you fit in that system? And he's kind of made the biggest splash. Um, I don't think he, Justin Jefferson is anywhere near the MVP. I think there's probably five or six guys that are ahead of him when it comes to to that. But when it comes to the Vikings, they walked into a casino and the house handed them a bunch of chips. They are playing with house money this year. So all the news that surrounded the NFC North was, the, you know, what, what was Aaron Rodgers doing this year? Okay, well, at one point in time, he was going to go to the Broncos. At another time, okay, we've signed him for this small contract and there's like two year contract. And then is Jordan Love going to take over soon? You know, do we need to move on from Rogers? Oh, what's Justin Fields doing? Um, all this kind of stuff. And the Vikings came in and they said, okay, we got a brand new coach. No one has any expectations for us. And they had the pieces there. I mean, all the, the puzzle pieces were there. Jefferson did a good job. Kirk Cousins clearly knows how to throw the ball. Um, you you have Cook there. I mean, you you have the pieces that that put things together. And Kevin O'Connell, as much as I like to to speak to him a few minutes, speak about him a few minutes ago, is doing a great job uh, up in Minnesota at taking what he's got and just throwing it throwing it out there. Um, it's fun. It's new. It's something that we haven't seen out of the Vikings before. So that's why you're getting these these conversations. I agree with you, Sean. If the, the Eagles go on and go 16 and one, purchases the MVP. Um, if they if they revert back to the mean, basically, where they lose a couple of games, you know, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to barnstorm the rest of the year because the West isn't great this year. The Chargers aren't even stepping up. You know, once again, they're hurt. But uh, so there's a lot of there's some other players out there. I like Justin Jefferson, but my uh, if I'm going to put a young receiver out there, it's going to be Chase from the Bengals. He's been there. He's seen the Super Bowl. Um, and I think right now he's just that one step. But there's other receivers out there that are in their their second year that I think are definitely going to uh, we're going to see a, a, a huge jump pretty soon. I uh, I concur. I think that, you know, it, it's easy to to knock 
Jamar Chase down a, a peg or two because he's hurt. Right. Yeah. And you're seeing Jefferson just come off of a monster, you know, performance with a, almost a career defining catch. And, you know, we'll we'll see how things pan out. Um, it's just an exciting time for young wide receivers. This draft class and then the draft class from, you know, the year prior just had some fantastic players uh, that I think are really kind of defining this age of like airing the football out and having two alpha receivers uh, on each team really does so much to unlock, you know, these young quarterbacks to get the job done. Uh, but yeah, those are our power rankings. If you agree, great. If you don't, well, I mean, it's not your power rankings. It's ours. So do your own. Uh, that's my spiel. Hope you enjoyed. I miss that sarcasm and that wit. Uh, so let's move on to our next segment, which is my favorite segment, the Brody Bits. Um, each and every week we choose four games within our fandom and we bet against them. Uh, bet them against the spread, over-unders, all that kind of stuff. Uh, public service announcement, we do not bet um, these games uh, actually at all. We we live in Oklahoma. The betting is not uh, legal here, both electronically um, or amongst friends, uh, even though the police aren't probably going to catch you for that. Uh, so that being said, we are not good at uh, picking games, as you'll see here in just a couple of minutes. And so we wouldn't do it anyways because we're not good at it. And we wouldn't make any money. So we start out with the last week's fan vote, which was the wonderful game, the Vikings and the Bills, uh, completely just uh, a wackadoo game. Uh, the over-under for the game was 45 and a half, and the Vikings were, uh, I'm sorry, the Bills were favored by five and a half. And so last week, uh, Caleb had the under 45 and a half, and uh, if you saw anywhere close to that game, the total number was... 63 so caleb did not win his i took the vikings last week plus five and a half uh thank the good lord in heaven that uh we did not uh, have a bills touchdown without a vikings field goal in overtime I, I was watching that game very intently in, in overtime because the only way is only way i was going to lose that game is if uh the bills had a touchdown by themselves but the Vikings won 33-30. And Sean, well, he just, uh, he in, 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 our, in our hearts, he chose that, that game. So, uh, Caleb, we're going to start out with you. And our game this week is the Cowboys at the Vikings. We like the Vikings for the last couple of weeks, clearly. Cowboys are a one-point favorite going up to Minnesota. The over-under for the game is 47 and a half. So, Caleb, where are you going with this game? I'm going to go ahead and go with the points. I'm going over. I think that Minnesota and Dallas are both going to show up. Minnesota feeling like they want to prove that they belong still on their home turf. Cowboys wanting to bounce back. You know, they just traveled to Green Bay. Probably had to go through Minneapolis to get there. Now they're like, okay, we're going back north again. We're not going to be outside. We're going to be in a dome. Points are going to be scored. So I think that it could easily be in like the mid-50s or higher. 
And I think it probably would have gone over last week as well if I were to have realized Josh Allen was playing. But that's what happens when we pick these things early in the week. So I'm going over 47 and a half. Okay. Sean, um, we have uh, this game for you, the fan vote. Cowboys are a one-point favorite. Uh, I know how you feel about the Cowboys. So where are you going? Can I take the under, Steph? Yeah, you can take whatever you want. I don't think the Vikings are going to do that well against NFC East teams. They got smoked by the Eagles. They struggled to beat the Commanders. Uh, I don't think they put up a lot of points. I think that Dallas's defense, as much as it pains me to say it, like is legitimately good. Um, and outside of Justin Jefferson, I feel like a lot of that offense has been inconsistent. They've gotten the job done when it matters, which is what wins you football games. And I don't want to say that they lose this game. But I don't know if it's going to be as high scoring and as high flying as, you know, a basically 48 points between the two teams. Um, I could very well see something similar to the the you know Vikings commanders score or like the you know Vikings Dolphins score where it's just you know 20 you know 21 24 points wins you the football game that's a uh, a good you know a lot of times we see offensive uh, football teams running around out there and and Dan Quinton a good job with the Dallas defense so uh, for me, I am going to go ahead and take those Vikings. Uh, they did a good job for me last week. As being an underdog, I'm taking the Vikings plus one, um, as I think they are going to win outright. So let's uh, move on. This is a I have been waiting this entire college football season to talk to this man about this team, as I don't think I've ever talked to him when the Volunteers are a good team. Uh, so, Sean, the Volunteers of Tennessee are going to South Carolina to uh, to take on my number one pick last year, Spencer Rattler. Um, they are a 21-and-a-half-point favorite, and the over-under for this team, uh, for this game, I'm sorry, is 66 points so um how many points do you think this goes over because the volunteers are going to score 66 on their own i so i'm i almost want to take the over but that is going to require the vols to score 66 points on their own because that offense for south carolina is bad it is it is not even remotely good at all um so rather, I'm actually going to go ahead. I'm going to take the uh, I'm going to take the spread. I think it's going to be a very similar route to what we saw the Vols put on the Tigers of Missouri uh, this past weekend. And it's hey, we're going to continue to ride a very soft schedule uh, into the college football playoff. I'll take it. Yeah, no, I'm going to 100 percent be behind you on that one. So much like. Uh, much unlike the NFL, you have to score points when you are uh, below four but above 10 in the playoff rankings is you just have to blow out the teams that are uh, that that are on your schedule because we know that uh, Ohio State and Michigan, by the way, um, to, uh, the while we're recording the 
college football playoff has come out. Georgia, number one. Uh, Ohio State, number two. TCU, number three. Michigan, no, I'm sorry. Michigan, number three. TCU, number four. Uh, So, and then number five, I believe, is uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. I almost called them the Titans for a second. Um, So we know that one of those two teams um, is going to falter because Ohio State and Michigan play each other. So we know there's a spot up for grabs for those teams five through seven and uh, really hoping that Southern California doesn't leapfrog the uh, volunteers. I feel like with the wins over who caught who the you know model has right now at number six and number eight um and a, even though it wasn't a close loss it was still you know in athens and yeah. so i think that based on you know strength of schedule alone that win over lsu especially right going down to baton rouge and just destroying everything that they would have ever tried to do um man i it's just such a good year it's just such a great year for sean his football teams and his uh his teams in general right everything's just everything's coming up sean <laughs> so we uh we talked about the big 10 a second ago let's go ahead and stay in the big 10 and talk about the nebraska corn huskers uh last week caleb won his um uh, his bet the Huskers and the Wolverines under 49 and a half. Um, so that game got to 37 points. So uh, Caleb went way below his under. Good job choosing that. So the the Huskers um, are going to Wisconsin this week. They are a the Wisconsin Badgers are a 13 point favorite. And the over-under is 39 and a half. So, Caleb, where are you going on your Huskers? I'm taking the under again. Okay. Uh, we're playing our third-string quarterback. Jim Leonard is the, the head coach over there right now. 20 to 3? Sure. Whatever. On to the okay. next season. I want to know who our new coach on, is. On to the next season. I like it. So... Um, we'll just hop over to America's Brightest Orange. So uh, uh, last week, the Oklahoma State Cowboys uh, attacked the Iowa State Cyclones. And uh, the game was, uh, I had the over 48 and a half, as I thought um, that defenses were not going to show up. Um, I'm going to take the... The over, I'm, I'm going to go against my better instincts every single week because I mean, Oklahoma State won 20 to 14 last week, did not get to the to the 40 and a half, only got to about 34. So, doesn't really matter. We throw out the records, we throw out um, what anyone has done the rest of the year because this week is bedlam. Uh, Oklahoma State is headed down to Norman to play the University of Oklahoma. Uh, so the Cowboys are a seven and a half point underdog as we currently speak, and the over under is 64 and a half. The Sooners are in disarray. They can't seem to find their identity or any kind of defensive strategy. 
So I am going to take my Oklahoma State Cowboys uh, as a seven and a half point underdog and take those points and uh, go pokes, as I think, that uh, the Cowboys are going to win Bedlam straight up. I'm going to go ahead and stay with me um, as we uh, talk about the NFL teams. My Denver Broncos uh, last week. Um, so <laughs> last week, the Titans uh, were a three-point favorite over the the Broncos. And I took the Titans uh, and those three points as uh, I didn't think that the Broncos were going to get anywhere near um, getting close enough. So good for me. I won, but my Broncos still lost. So this week, the somehow the Broncos are a two and a half point favorite when they are headed to Las Vegas to play the Raiders. The over under for that game is 41 and a half. Um, this is just a this is the toilet bowl in the NFL this week. Basically, two really bad teams that need to figure out who their head coach is. As uh, I don't think either one of these guys are really good for the team. But I'm still going to take the Broncos minus two and a half. As I think that that is, uh, I'm going to root for the Broncos no matter what. And I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to the over under because this game could be 35 34. Or it could be 9-7. I really don't know what's going to uh, to happen. Um, speaking of three-win teams, let's head up to the Packers. They are coming off a... Are they... The four, I'm sorry. A four... This is why you have to make sure and update your, uh, your, your record in the notes. Kayla, because I am just uh, going off your notes. The Packers are four and six, so a one-game lead uh, over the Broncos. I guess the assumption was that they were just going to keep losing, right? That was the, <laughs> yeah, that's everybody you, was. Just need to change the the loss column every single week. Uh, so Packers uh, this last week uh, lost to the Cowboys. Um, no, I'm sorry, the Cowboys. They, they beat the Cowboys by three points last week. I apologize. Uh, Caleb had the Cowboys minus five, so he did not win his bet. Uh, so this week he has, oh, they're going to Thursday night football. I forgot that the Packers are going to be on Thursday night football. And they are a three-point favorite going to the Titans, and the over-under is 41. So, Caleb, who do you have for your Packers pick this week? Um, this one's actually in Lambeau. Um, I'm taking the Packers minus the three. Give me some apologies. I'm jumping on the hype train. Should I? Probably not. But, uh, you know, I'm wearing a shirt that says cheese on it. If that doesn't tell you how diehard I am, I can't help you. Um, frequently I'm referred to as the Packer owner on the podcast, but we've kind of downplayed that the last few weeks when uh, the four game losing streak was happening, but you know, let, let's do this thing. Um, I really wanted to say let's ride just to kind of irritate Derek. Uh. But, but uh, you know, 
I don't want I don't want a team to beat us and the Broncos back to back like the Jets did earlier this year, uh, in reverse order where they beat us and then beat the Broncos. I don't want the Titans to beat the Broncos and then beat us. We got to stop that. No winning streaks over both of those teams. Okay, so you're taking. I, uh, I, I just want to throw in a slight correction: five game losing streak. Back to our regular schedule program. <laughs> Ouch. So, uh, Sean uh, and his uh, number one ranked power rankings, Eagles, uh, which are eight and one, are in Indianapolis this week. They are a six and a half point favorite, and the over under is 44. Uh, Sean, I think that number is way too low for what the Eagles are doing. They should be probably a 93-point favorite, um, as the Colts are not good. Tell me what what you're thinking about. Oh, I'm going to make this very, very quick. Uh, Nick Sirianni, a little bit of a better coach um, than uh, a one. Josh McDaniels, probably not going to, you know, and knock on wood, lose to a Jeff Saturday coached. Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I don't think. I, I think it's double digits. Uh, give me, give me the Eagles minus six and a half, and I'm not even going to look back. There you go. That is uh, that is super smart. Uh, I'm going to jump on that Eagles train as well. Um, if our listeners know that I have been hyping up the Eagles throughout this entire winning streak, um, and Fly, eagle, fly, as I am a, uh, I am a big fan of that color green. So uh, let's just stay with you, uh, Sean, and uh, let's talk about your wild card. Where are you going for your wild card this week? So um, I saw that the Rams are a four-point dog on the road against New Orleans. These teams suck. These teams are bad. The over-under is 38.5, which is a very, very low like super, super low, you know, over under for an NFL game. But I think that actually is fairly reasonable considering how dire these offenses have been. Um, we could see, you know, kind of similar to uh, to a, a, a one uh, Broncos game that happened against the Titans. We could see less than 30 points scored between both of these teams. The Rams have nobody on offense that is consistent at all in any aspect of the game, and they have a pretty sound defense. The Saints, on the other hand, have nobody on offense that is clicking aside from Chris Olave while he requires somebody to actually throw to him consistently. Andy Dalton hasn't been it, and Jameis Winston's body is falling apart. And the Saints defensively have had some massive ups and downs. So with both offenses misfiring, I'm taking the under on that 38 and a half. And I, you know, feel like we're going to see, you know, at least one, if not both of these teams finish, you know, um, like under potentially 18 points. A lot of field goals in this game. I feel a lot of field goals. I'm I'm on that uh, that train with you. I, I don't know what side I would take in that game as... Yeah, the 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 Saints being a four point favorite, um, just that 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 number is very that's a, that's a big number. That's over a field goal. Uh, I just don't like it. Um, so I'm not. Uh, I'm going to go away 
with my wild card. Uh, my wild card this week is the Browns and the Bills. The so Bills are a eight and a half point favorite. The over under for the game is forty three points. I think the Browns are going to run the ball. I think they're going to to keep it within that uh, that eight and a half point spread. That's a big number for the NFL period. Um, and I think it's what's going to happen is you're going to get to the fourth quarter, you know, six or seven minutes left to go. And it's been a 14-point game throughout the entire game. The Bills have been in a comfortable lead. The Browns get a touchdown, and it puts it to a seven-point game, and the Bills just never look back. But the Browns are still going to cover the eight-and-a-half points. So my wild card is the Browns plus eight-and-a-half. Caleb, let's finish up this Brody Bets with you. Where are you going this week? I'm going to Atlanta. Bears at Falcons. Falcons are a three-point favorite. I don't care about that. I'm going where I went last week. The Bears traded away all their good defensive players, and Justin Fields looks good. Give me the over on whatever Bears contest it is. It's 50, over 50 for Bears, Falcons. Over 50. Bears, Falcons. I, man, I, am, I'm, I am struggling with you there. But, uh, you know, maybe the Bears put up 40 of those points and the Falcons can uh, – can put up 10 to get you there. Um, Sean, what do you think about the, the Bears-Falcons game? So I, again, being somebody who is super into fantasy football, uh, Justin Fields, the points that he's scored have actually been historic, right? It's um, it's unprecedented in the NFL. Uh, he is looking every bit the quarterback that Bears fans would have you know, probably even not you say dreamed of, have crafted, right? He is he is winning games with his with his legs. He's winning games with, you know, his some of his decision making. Um, and the Falcons decided that 2022 was the new 1942, <laughs> the way that they approached the offensive side of the game. So I, I, th- I think this is going to be another, another super like low scoring, you know, affair, at least on their part of it. I think the Bears just end up, you know, I, they were unlucky to lose to the Lions. I, I I really like this Bears team. They're much better than their record indicates. I have a I have a question for you for you, Sean, because I don't get a whole bunch of, of picking your brain. What is Matt Eberflus doing that Matt Nagy couldn't um when it comes to Justin Fields? Um probably call plays um (laughs) like i i think that's really the biggest difference in the way that the bears have approached you know uh everything this season is you know the who's the offensive coordinator who's calling plays who's doing what how's it happening that the naggy years had um was super limiting on every aspect of that offense their run game was, you know, inconsistent. Uh, the they're really playing to the Bears' strengths now. And if you look at the last couple of games, especially right, the season started super rough for the Bears, and I think it's because they were kind of continuing the status quo from years past. 
And now we have, you know, it's similar to what you've seen, you know, the the Eagles do with Hurts, right? They haven't surrounded fields with the weapons that Hurts has yet, right? But, because I mean, I don't know, Darnell Mooney and Claypool aren't exactly Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown. But what you're seeing is all of a sudden you look at your young quarterback and you try and break down how do they play? What are their strengths? How do we maximize these in a game? It doesn't have to be perfect football. It just has to be winning football. And with that, I think um, Sean has put a really really nice bow on this episode. We want to thank all of our listeners and if you want to reach out to us, all of our links are, are on our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Brody Talk. Uh, so thank you so much, Sean, for coming back, sharing your Eagles and volunteering your college football team uh, picks and all that. We will keep you updated um, with uh, who won and how the Oklahoma State Cowboys are the best in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, so on behalf of myself, I'm Derek Rusnick, Caleb Walgren, and Sean Morgan. Do me a favor and have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.